Father, we just thank you once again this morning. Father, a new week, in the last week of this fourth month. And Lord, I pray, Father, that even as we spend these times in your presence, oh Lord, that you would continuously minister to us from your word. It's your word, not man's word. Lord, you said, all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That a man of God may be thoroughly equipped, complete for every good work. And this morning, Father, teach us, reprove us, correct us. And instruct us, O Lord, this morning. Systematically, O Lord, let the truth find its way in the deepmost parts of our inner man. To that end, I pray that you would, Lord, bless this time of teaching and meditation. Anoint us. Grant us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And enable us to hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say. In this last hour of time. For in Jesus name. Amen. The constant theme. For the entire. Of the entire Bible. uh, Because Bible is. Written not for. Primarily for others. But it is written for God's people. Right. So. uh, When. uh, The. First church began. You would see that when the first church began, uh, it began with uh, the exhortation by Peter, um, save, be saved from this untoward generation. With many words, he exhorted them, telling them to be saved from this untoward generation or a perverse generation. And people who gladly received that message were baptized. And then every day they were gathered, they gathered together for the apostles' doctrine. That's precisely what has been happening uh, for several days. Uh, we're getting an overload, if you will, of the apostles' doctrine. And, and thank God for all the questions also. And thank God for instructing us even through the sessions that we had the last couple of nights. Um, that is a constant theme that, that we will be set apart, continuously set apart from the things of this world. We are in the world, not of the world. Our value system, our priorities and every aspect of our lives, there has to be a distinction. Right? You know, when uh, we get our results, first class with distinction. <laughs> what, does it, what does it mean? Distinct means... Uh, first class to sabhi ko sabko jata hai. Distinction ka matlab, this guy is set apart from all the batch who also got first class. It's something like that, no? Right? When we were kids, we used to have this fascination. Oh, he's got distinction. There's, there's a marked difference between this person and the rest of the class. That's what distinction means. Uh, of course, the distinction we are talking, we are not talking about, uh, because we are better than the others here in this case. It is because we are a people who have obtained mercy 
from God. That's the reason why we we have a marked distinction. Therefore, we see we we've been seeing this uh, constantly. We see in Revelation chapter sixteen and verse four, um, Bab- uh, Babylon is falling, and uh, and it says sixteen, uh, yeah, eighteen. Sorry, chapter eighteen and verse four. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, "Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her." plagues. So we, we've seen this theme, right? Constantly bringing us out and bringing us in. Constantly bringing us out of uh, the influences of this world and constantly setting us apart for his purposes. Uh, and he says, come out of her, my people, lest you, verse 4, verse 4, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. You see that very interesting uh, order. You share in her sins and then you will receive of her plagues. Okay. And we know that ultimate plague is the plague of death itself. And um, um, God is constantly bringing us out of that, of the, out of those influences. And it says in verse 5, For her sins have reached to heaven, and God had remembered her iniquities. Uh, therefore, uh, that's the constant theme of the Bible. Again, Second Corinthians chapter 6, we looked at that again. Uh, three parts over here, you'll see that. Uh, and verse from uh, verse 14 onwards, and what accord has, yeah, do not be unequally yoked with uh, unbelievers, together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Communion has light with darkness, that is koinonia, communion, fellowship also, yeah. What accord or symphonia has Christ with Belial or what part has believer with an unbeliever? And then, of course, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? And therefore he says, for you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, God has said, okay, what is he, what does he do? He says that I want to dwell among my people and I want to walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Okay, that is what he wants to do. That is the reason why it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us or tabernacled among us. So that's exactly what he wanted to do. He said, okay, fine. I brought you out of Egypt. I've given you the Ten Commandments. And after I've given you the Ten Commandments, he tells Moses after he gives him the law till probably Exodus chapter 23 and Exodus chapter 24, he begins to give instructions as to how to construct or make the Ark of the Covenant and and the entire uh, design of the tabernacle in the wilderness so that he can come and dwell among them. Okay, so in order for him to come and dwell among them, he says, the next verse was uh, 17, he says, come out. Hmm, that's the whole point. I cannot dwell among you if you haven't come out. And be separate. Okay, just don't come out and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch the unclean thing and I will receive you. So this is, this is the whole idea is I want to dwell among you, and but I'm a holy God. And uh, you remember, right, um, when the tabernacle was made, all the Levites were supposed to, okay, make the tents around the tabernacle so that God will not fall around, fall among his people and they will not die. So that, that, that is the reason why the Levites were kept around the temple, uh, around the tabernacle. So God says, I'm a holy God, so don't take me for granted. But at the same time, I want to dwell in your presence. So in order for me to continuously dwell in your presence, I want to be, I want you to be separate and I want you to not touch any unclean thing and I will receive you. And then you know what happens? The moment you do these things, you will not only experience me as your God, 
you will experience me as your father. Who is saying this? Lord Almighty, El Shaddai. Okay. The Lord Almighty is saying that you will not just experience me as, as God and this holy uh, God, righteous God, holy God, but you will begin to experience me as a father. And when, when you experience me as your father, you have the, you have the opportunity to come close to me. That's the idea, right? So the three things, right? So, uh, I want you to, I want to dwell, dwell in your presence, but in order for you to me to dwell in your presence, come out and be separate. Don't touch any unclean thing and I will receive you. And then he says, once the moment I receive you, now I can begin to be your father and you can be my sons and daughters. That's exactly what God did in Christ Jesus. What did God do in Christ Jesus? The moment we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we we were in, in him and now we begin to, be, uh, we are acceptable to God. God begins to receive us. Everything, he says, uh, I thank God through Christ Jesus. I thank God for your faith. God in Christ Jesus forgave you. Everything through Christ Jesus, right? So we begin to be acceptable to God and he begins to receive us. He begins to receive our sacrifices. Alright, turn with me to First Peter chapter 2. We looked at that several times, but once again, First Peter chapter 2. Huh? First Peter chapter two and verse one uh, and two. Actually, two, uh, uh, three and four. In fact, coming to him as living stones. Yeah, um, coming to him as a living stone, rejected by men, by but by cho- chosen by God and precious. And then you also, as living stones, are being built up into a what house? Into a spiritual house to become a holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices and then he says, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, I thank my God. I offer up praises to God through Jesus Christ. Everything becomes acceptable to him and he begins to receive us. And the moment he begins to receive us, because we are inside of Jesus Christ, we experience him as our father. Alright, so that's the theme of the entire Bible uh, from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, I mean, not Genesis to by and large, okay. Gen, the entire theme of the Bible is that you are my people, and this is how I want you to live as a separate people. All right. So let us turn back today to Exodus chapter eight and try to understand what are uh, what does it mean to be uh, to live as a separated people in different different ways. Okay, we are studying those themes in different different ways, and you'll see another dimensionality of this um, from Exodus chapter eight and verse twenty. Remember, we looked at the first three plagues. In the first three plagues were the plague of um, uh, of the water turning to blood, the plague of the frogs, where both first one he, saw, he says that I have judged the sustenance, the value system of the Egypt Egyptians, the the, uh, the I have also judged the the wisdom of the Egyptians. Now it's gonna it's not gonna work anymore. After the third plague, the wisdom of the Egyptians has been judged, judged, the sustenance of the Egyptians has been judged, and the uncleanness, the spirit of uncleanness of these Egyptians has been judged, and once. That has been judged. Now what is going to happen from the fourth plague onwards, there is going to be a separation between God's people and my people. And that is what we are looking at. What does, a, what does it mean in this context to live as a separated people? Let us see from Exodus chapter 8 and verse 20 onwards. And the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. See, he keeps coming to the water. All right. Uh, then say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. 
Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people and into your houses. The houses of Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which you stand or they stand. And in that day, I will set apart. Can you use KJV over here? I like the word in KJV. 8.22 onwards. Verse 22. And I will sever. You know what severing is, right? Tear or cut. It's And it's a sudden thing. Severing is something which happens suddenly. And I will sever in that day the land of Goshen in which my people dwell that no swarms of flies shall be there. To the end thou mayest know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth and I will put a division between my people and, and thy people, tomorrow shall this sign be. Now, ultimately, you know what is going to happen now? We will become a sign to the world. That's exactly, we begin to become the sign to this world. That's essentially what is going to happen now from uh, this uh, place, this particular verse onwards. So, I will sever in that day the what? The land of Goshen. That's interesting, isn't it? What is it, what does it mean to sever the land of Goshen? So what does Goshen mean? You know what Goshen means? <laughs> draw near. Or draw near. To whom? <laughs> is the question. Right? We know this very well. Turn to James chapter 4 and verse 7 onwards. You see the theme is so consistent through the Bible. There's nothing, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm showing, I'm, we're, we're trying to see, even as we're studying the scripture, that the theme of the entire Bible, be it old or the new covenant, is essentially the same. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil and flee from you. Draw near or go shent to God, in other words, if you want to put it, put it that way. And he will draw near to you. And what should you do? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And what happens? And then verse 9. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Let your joy be turned to gloom. Humble yourselves in the mighty under the, under the side of the Lord and he will lift you up. That is what it says. This is drawing near. How do we draw near? First we draw in humility. That is what we do. Draw near. We don't exalt ourselves or any of our opinions before the Lord. Second, second is that how do we draw? We cleanse our hands. And then we ask our Ask God to purify her hearts in that, that we may, we may be made whole. Okay, this is the whole point. And you will say, what's the whole purpose of this? Why should I do it? What is the advantage of doing this? What's the advantage of drawing near to God? Every day of my life. Because I don't see any tangible Results in my life. See, we come, see, one of the things that uh, we are all visual beings, right? We want results. We want to see results. Okay. Um, Christian life is this. Even if you don't see results immediately, you still do it by faith. Okay. What's the whole point? What's the whole point in being separate? What's the whole point in cleansing my hands? What's the whole point in purifying my, uh, cleansing, uh, cleansing my hands and purifying my heart? What's the whole point? What's the whole point of all this exercise? You know, one man had this question in the Bible. He was a worship leader of uh, Israel 
I mean, he was appointed as a worship leader of Israel. Of Israel, and he wrote a very famous psalm we all like to read. And you know who that person is? Asaf. Yes. Let's turn to Psalm seventy-three, and let's read from verse twelve onwards. Twelve onwards. Yeah. Behold, these are the ungodly. And he's defining the ungodly, okay? You now, when he's looking at the whole thing, he's defining who the ungodly is. This is the definition of un- un- ungodly according to Asaf. Who are always at ease. Parasites, okay? Basically. Hmm? They increase in riches. Surely, I have cleansed my heart in vain. Surely, I have washed my hands in innocence in vain. And then he goes, that's, that's what he says. What's the whole point, Lord? Okay. I'm doing all this, but I see that people are at ease. Of course, now I don't think uh, you can say that. But for all day long, what? I have been plagued and chastened every morning. And verse 15, if I said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. <laughs> it's amazing, no? If I said thus, in other words, I will speak in this way. Then what, what, what am I going to be? I'll be untrue to the children of your generation. Verse 16. Let's read on. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. I mean, Asaf is like being very honest with God. But when the when does the narrative change? A narrative changes it from verse 17 onwards. Now, this is very interesting. Until I went to the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. And he says, surely you set them in slippery places, you cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to, to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Stop there for a minute. Okay. You know, surely you have set them in what places? Slippery places. Have you seen this particular word somewhere? Very, very famous verse. Sammy? Excuse me? Uh, well, uh, I'm not talking about biblical. Have you ever read this word in one of, a, one of the most famous sermons by one man of God? Okay. Okay, I don't want to name, mention his name. Um, I'll probably mention it sometime. No, he makes a very interesting statement about slippery places. Okay. Slippery places. Okay. Surely you set them, he says, in slippery places. Okay. What is being said? What what does it mean? He says, Asaf is looking at the world and he's saying they're all in slippery places. Okay. Now, if you have studied physics, you'll know what I'm talking about. In order for us to walk on the, on the, on the, on the ground, what we need is friction. Okay, friction is good. It's not bad. Okay, yes, our tires get um, messed up because of friction, but that is the re- that is the reason why we are not skidding. You know that, right? Okay, when the tires get boiled, there is no longer any friction between the road and the tire, and what happens to us? We we skid and we can fall. Now, this man, when he looks at the wicked, he has this image. You are in a slippery place. He says the first thing, some of the observations he makes, he makes is, they are exposed to destruction 
as a man who stands in slippery places is always exposed to a fall. Okay. A man who is standing in slippery places, he doesn't, he is always exposed to a fall. He can all, all, always possibly only be in static equilibrium, but, <laughs> but you know, but he does, he doesn't know when he's going to fall. He's always exposed to a fall. That is how the people in the world are. Okay. And if you are a part of the world, this is your situation. You are always exposed to a fall and you're open to it. There's no protection over your life. Second, you're not only always exposed to a fall, you're exposed to a sudden fall and sudden destruction. You do not know when that fall is going to happen. Now think about it, no? Uh, if you, if you're, if you're on a place where, just imagine an inclined terrain, okay? And it's greasy. And you're on that terrain like that. At one moment you're, you're, you're just balancing yourself, but you do not know when you'll fall. In fact, suddenly one small wind comes, gone. You know, when we were growing up, we had a, we had a very interesting, uh, uh, puzzle we used to ask each other. There was a boat. Okay, it was a boat. It was packed to capacity. It had animals, it had, it had goods, it had all, all kinds of things. The, the boat is now fully uh, packed to capacity, uh, and you know, uh, there was, there was, there was people, people over there. There were all kinds of things, and this boat was supposed to go from one place to the other. Okay, and there was a cow also inside. I mean, cow, animals, all kinds of animals, so cattle, basically. Now, the question we used to ask each other was, now, even if one gram extra will fall into the boat, it would capsize. Okay. One gram extra will fall into the boat, it would capsize. So the question we used to ask each other was, there was a cow in the boat. Suddenly, it, it dropped some dung. What will happen to the boat? Your answer? Why? It's already inside, no? Okay. No, it was already inside. So it will not fall. Good, good, good. Very good. Thank you so much. But when we were kids, no? Used to ask each other, hey, it will fall. People said, ah, it will capsize. No, 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 no. It was already inside the boat. Sorry, inside the animal. So even if it drops the dung, it will not fall. The, not so with this guy. If a small wind comes, just one small wind. Have you seen? Sometimes one slight gush of wind comes and if you are in a slippery place, you do not know whether you will be able to balance or not. Now, you know what the third third observation this man of God makes? He says, they don't need anyone to push him to, into destruction. He will fall under his own weight. Boom, he's gone. The reason why he still hasn't fallen, because his time is still not come. That is what slippery places are. Surely, Asaf says, you have set him in what? 
places, slippery places, you cast them down to destruction. They don't know when they are going to fall. They can fall under their own weight. Isn't it interesting, right? So, for example, when, you, when you're dr- driving your bike sometimes, when the wheels are not aligned, you know. Okay. Automatically, your center of gravity is like uh, getting messed up. And you feel like an inverted pendulum. You know, you never know when you're going to fall. Okay. <laughs> and then you suddenly slow down, slow down, maybe. You know it. You know what I'm talking about. Okay. And you know when the grip of the tire is not good. Immediately you know. Okay. That's exactly what is happening to this fellow. He knows, he doesn't know when he is going to fall. And he doesn't need anybody external to push him. He will fall under his own weight. It's absolutely slippery. That is what Asaph is saying. And when Asaph says, this is what the situation of the people in the world is, boss, thank God, I'm in your sanctuary. Thank God, I can draw near to you. Whenever I draw near to you, there is protection that I enjoy. Okay. And then, therefore, in uh, Psalm Psalm, uh, 73 and verse 21 onwards, this is what he has to say. He says, thus my heart was grieved. And I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. He says, Lord, thank you for opening my mind and my eyes. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold me by my, by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will receive me in glory. You know, this is, this, this is assurance that he's got. He says, Lord, you will hold me by your right hand. You will guide me with your counsel. And you will, afterward what? You will receive me into glory. And then? Whom I have in heaven but you. And there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh. Many times they will fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And then verse 27. Look at this. This is real powerful. For indeed those who are what? Far from you. Why do I, why should I draw near to you? Because those who are far from you, you have destroyed. All those who desert you for harlotry. Who? What does it mean? Who desert you? What does a deserting mean? What are they doing? Deserting you for what? Harlotry. That's exactly what Thessalonians says. In the last days, many will depart from the faith. And then it says, that day will not come unless there comes what? A falling away. You know what the word falling away means? Falling away means to divorce. To go away into harlotry. But it is good for me. What? To draw <laughs> near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord. That I may declare his works. He says, what is the whole point in drawing near to God? Oh, if I draw near to God, I have to cleanse my hands. And I have to purify my heart. And what's the whole purpose? And when I went into the sanctuary of the Lord, I understood the end of the world. That they are all in slippery places. Whatever they put their trust in is not going to profit them in the day of uh, in the in the day of calamity, and they will fall under their own weight. Uh, sometime back there was a there was a dialogue in one movie. No, तुम्हारा अहंकारी तुझे मारेगा. किसी और को मारने की जरूरत नहीं है. Okay, your pride will destroy. You will fall under the weight of your own pride. Okay. Understand that. So, that is the reason why we draw near to God. Why do we draw near to God? I mean, the reason why we draw near to God, we know 
If I draw near to God, these are all the benefits that Asaph is showing us. He's saying, if I draw near to you, yes, Lord, thank God I put my trust in you. Thank God when I came into your sanctuary, I understood that this world is a place which is full of slippery places. Okay? And they all are living in this illusion that nothing is going to happen to them, but they don't know that God is able to send them like that into hell. Okay. Let's move on. Therefore, let us draw near to Goshen. That is what Goshen means, to draw near. Okay. How do we draw near therefore? How do we draw near? It says in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19. How do we draw near? Onwards. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19. Therefore, brothers, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. How do we draw near? We draw near by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us. Through the veil, that is his flesh. And then, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a what heart? With a true heart, in full assurance of faith. How our hearts have been sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies have been washed with pure water. This is how we draw draw near. Draw near with a true heart. Our conscience has been purged and our bodies have been washed. That means we are set apart to God. Yeah, in that sense. We draw near with absolute assurance and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with clean water uh, with uh, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then go on, verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. This is how we draw near. And then let us consider one another in order to stir up for love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some. But exhorting one another so much the more as you see that day approaching. You see that? That is how we draw near. We draw near with a sincere heart, with a true heart. That is the reason why he says in Matthew chapter 15, what what is the opposite of a true heart? Matthew chapter 15 verse 7. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, what is that? These people, how do they draw near? They draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far. They are not interested in the things of God. They don't enjoy my presence. They only come because they are forced to come. It's very important for us to understand. Do you really enjoy God's presence? Do you enjoy reading His word? Do you spend, do you enjoy spending time with the children of God? Do you enjoy the fellowship with God's people? Think about that. Very, very important for us. You honor me with their lips. You honor me with your, with your lips, but their heart is far from me. And it says, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, what? The commands of men. You know, uh, this word for worship in Isaiah, actually he talks about their fear of me is taught by the commandments of men. They don't have the true fear of God. There is a true fear of God and there is a false fear of God. This is all false fear of God. It is all external. It is not nothing to do, uh, uh, God, uh, do with a sincere heart. That is the reason why when God sees Eliab, he says, man looks at the outward, but God looks at our heart. So how do we draw near? We draw near with a sincere heart. Okay. We draw near with a sincere heart. And then, Another way to be drawn here. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 1. 
onwards. Okay. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God. How do you walk? Prudently. And draw near to, not to speak. <laughs> you see that? To draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they do <laughs> evil. And then next verse. Do not be rash with your mouth. Let your heart utter, let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth. Let your words be few. So how, what, what, what should we draw near for? To hear. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And that is the reason why we draw near to God. That is what Goshen means, to draw near, a place of drawing near to God. And how do we, how do we draw near? We draw near, first of all, we draw near by knowing that this world is absolutely a slippery place. I don't want to be there. It's an absolutely slippery place. Um, if you if you buy any uh, mutual fund, Okay, they will sell you the mutual fund uh, with fantastic uh, advertisement, right? Uh, mutual funds makes invest grow both slow advertisement chalega. Advertisement is very slow when he's explaining the beauty of that investment and how how many benefits you can accrue uh, after that if you have investments. And then mutual funds are subject to market risk. Like, uh, how do how do they speak that? Huh? Have you heard that mutual funds are subject to market risk? Hello. And then you have to slowly, carefully go and analyze. And then you will understand that your, that your mutual fund is on slippery places. And how do they say it? Mutual funds are subject to some other risks. What are, what are they saying? Mutual funds are subject to market risks. And when you are buying it, please go through the fine print. But how do they say that? That is what is called as slippery place. World is a, nothing is safe in this world. Nothing. There's no settling down in this world. They don't realize that Lord when he was going to Sodom and Gomorrah, he was going into what place? A slippery place. He doesn't realize that. Draw near. That is the reason why, where was Abraham? In the promised land. Where do you enjoy promises? In the land of promises. Not in uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Where is the land of promises for a believer? In Christ. For every promise is yes and amen. In Christ, every if you go outside Christ, it's a slippery place. You can't even, first of all, forget about uh, uh, claiming any of the promises. The interesting thing is, the modern day gospel has taken people not into Christ, but into the world which is a slippery place. They don't realize that. And so many believers are tottering in slippery places. And that is exactly what Elijah will say. If Yahweh is God, worship him. If Baal is God, worship him. And they say, nothing. Nothing. Uncertainty. Slippery place. Therefore, there is a tremendous benefit of drawing near to God. Okay. Spiritual benefit. So what we have to be, if you are smart and if you are intelligent, what is the benefit? You will always look at the future. That's what it says. A prudent man foresees evil and what does he do? He hides himself. But a simple fellow and a fool, he goes without 
He's absolutely sure about what is going to happen. No way, my dear brothers and sisters. This world is a slippery place and it is going to get destroyed any moment. We do not know. There's no certainty at all. Mutual funds, <laughs> all investments. <laughs> okay, I'm not saying that you should not invest. Okay, but you do not. I know so many people, no? They've, I'm not so many people. I, at least not so many people. I know one guy for sure. Okay. For sure. But that guy came to me. Investing in stocks. He wants to get rich quick. He put so much of money. Slippery place. With, before he knew, within a month he became a bankrupt fellow. Completely went into zero. Negative. Why bacha? Came all the way from Vaisak and he, t- he told, I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this, I've been doing this, I've been doing this. And uh, messed up all his money. Why? Why all that? Slippery place. Okay. The world is a slippery place. So let us draw near to God. So let us see what are the benefits of going into Goshen. That is drawing near, right? Okay. First of all, we need to understand that this world is a Slippery place. Second, we need to understand how to draw near. Okay. How do we draw near? With a sincere heart. Third, we need to understand. So just we should not draw near because the world is a slippery place. We draw near because we love God. You understand? We don't, it's not, it's not that we'll be, we'll be, we'll enjoy. I'll, I'll show you a verse. No, turn with me to uh, Psalm 44. Psalm 44 verse 22, if I'm right. Psalm 44 verse 22. Yeah. Psalm 44 verse 22. Yeah, what is it? Yet for your sake, we are killed all day long and we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Now, let me, you know where it is, where this particular verse is, uh, is, 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 uh, is quoted? Romans chapter 8, okay? Now, let me show you the context of this psalm, okay? Turn to Exodus, I mean, Psalm 44, alright? Let me show you a few verses so that you will understand uh, what the context of the psalm is. Psalm 44. Verse 1, a few verses from verse 1 to um, 8, 1 to 4 maybe. First one, verse 1 to 4. And uh, we have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us the deeds you did in their days, in the days of old. You drove the nations with your hand, but them you planted, you afflicted the peoples, and you cast those nations out. For they did not gain possession of the land by their own sword, nor did their own arm save them, but it was your hand, your arm, the light of your countenance, because you favored them. You are my king, O God. Command victories for Jacob. He is like fired up, no? Look at, he is like enjoying the the way God has uh, done all those things for his life. And then, verse 7 now. You have saved, saved us from our foes, from our enemies. You have put shame to those who hated us. In God we boast all day long and praise your name forever. And after that, what do you have? Selah. Meaning pause. Pause here. And let now the, the, the tone goes from major to minor. Okay. It becomes a dirge now. And then he says, next verse. But you have cast us off, Lord. What did you do? You cast us off. You put us to shame. You do not go out with our armies, you make us turn back from the enemy and those who hate us have taken spoil for themselves. Now when you read these two verses, what do you get? For sure we might have 
sinned against him. No, obviously, no. That is the reason why we are uh, we are being chased by our enemies. No, they're very interesting. And then uh, verse. Okay, verse 20. If you have forgotten the name of a God or stretched our hands to a foreign God. Okay, sorry, just before that. Yeah, verse 18, sorry. Verse, verse 17, verse 17, verse 17, verse 17. Okay, he's, he's explaining all the, all the distresses that has happened to them. And verse 17, he says, all this has come upon us, but we have not. Oh, we have not forgotten you. Not have we dealt falsely with your covenant. No. We kept your covenant. Our heart has not turned back from you. Nor our steps have departed from your way. And verse 19. But you have severely broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we have forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a foreign God. And verse 21. Would not have God searched our heart? For he knows the secrets of our, yet for your sake we are killed. All day long and we are counted as sheep to the slaughter. So this guy in the old covenant, and who is this guy who wrote this? I am not sure if he's. I think it's the sons of Korah who wrote this. Okay, he's saying, Lord, if you have done so many bad things and we have sinned against you and you are, you are and you are punishing us, I understand. But that is not the case. We have not sinned against you. But all day we are being killed and we are being considered as a sheep to be slaughtered. But you know what? Paul says, we now go to uh, Romans chapter 8, verse uh, 32, if I'm right, 33, 34. Yeah. Who shall bring against any charge against God select? It is God, it is God who justifies. Okay. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intersection for us. And then, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Can tribulation, persecution, famine, nakedness or peril. And verse 36, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day, all day long. We are counted as sheep to the slaughter. He's quoting exactly from Psalm 44 verse 22. And then he says, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors. Why? Because nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. He's not saying just because we have, it is, it is, we are still in your presence. We are being persecuted. But one thing is for sure. You know what? We are not separated from you. We might be buffeted from all directions. We might be persecuted. We might be going through the time of our life in terms of the bad time of our life. But we know for sure that we are not being separated from you. Okay. So, drawing near to God, not because we we get benefits from God. No. We draw near to God because we have a sincerity of heart. Alright. We understand that even if we are going through... Um, through trials and persecutions and, and all kinds of real tough times, God has not forsaken us. Alright? So, first thing, what is Goshen? Is to draw near. Okay? Uh, what, are, what are the benefits of drawing near? We know. That world is a slippery place. How to draw near? Oh, sorry, uh, why should we draw near? Because the world is slippery places. How to draw near is because uh, we, we, with a sincere, with sincere heart, not for ulterior motives. And third, the reason, what are the benefits of drawing near or staying in the place of protection or Goshen? Let us see. Go to Genesis chapter 49 and let's read from verse 9 onwards. The first benefit of drawing near to Goshen. Sorry, um, bro, it's 47. 
47. Yeah, 47. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, was it 45? Sorry. Excuse me. 45 verse 9? 45 or 46? Just see 45. 45 verse 9? Yeah, yeah, 45 verse 9. Sorry, 45 verse 9. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me the Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Or rather, what? Draw near to me. Do not tarry. Okay, draw near to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. This is awesome, right? And you shall not, you shall be near me. Beautiful, isn't it? You shall Dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near to me. Joseph is a picture of Christ and his presence. You and your children, your children's children, your flocks, your herds, and all that you have, there I will provide for you. So what is it? What is Goshen? A place of provision. Exactly. It's a place of not just provision, God's provision. It's a place of God's provision. That God is near to us. That is the reason why we draw near to him. And one thing, those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him freely give us all things? So when God is saying, I am setting apart the land of Goshen from the people of Israel, what is he saying? These are the people who have what? drew near to God and when they drew near to God with sincerity of heart without any ulterior motives one thing I know for sure when I am there I will be near Joseph first thing and then second I will have the provision I will enjoy the continuous provision of God give me today our daily bread isn't it interesting that one of the provisions that we continuously enjoy is also our deliverance Remember that that lady who comes to Jesus, the Syrophoenician lady, who says, uh, Lord, please, can you give, uh, son of David, have mercy upon me. It is not good for me to give the bread to the dogs. And she says, even the dogs, okay, feed from off the table. And he says, great is your faith. What is that? Bread. Bread for my what? Deliverance. That is the daily bread that we will enjoy. The provision of God. Where we enjoy the deliverances of God in our lives. That is what Goshen is. Therefore, there is a incredible, what do you call, benefit of drawing near to God. And understanding that this world is a slippery place, you will enjoy continuous provision. So trust me, my dear brothers and sisters, why is this important? Because I'm sure, like we've been warned, right, over and over again, after this time will come what? Famine. A famine. A famine will come. A famine for sure will come. Will we trust God and say, Lord, you asked me to separate myself from the things of the world and you, and, and, and to draw near the very act, I will enjoy your provision. And even if I don't enjoy your provision, it doesn't mean that I'm forsaken. No! You know, I know that all the things that I need, you will add to me. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things that I will be, that will be added to you. There, there I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty for the, for there are still five years of famine. You know what that means? You'll enjoy God's provision and you will not have any lack. Both. 
you will have sufficient to give away to. You understand that? So, drawing near to God as first benefit. What is that? You will enjoy God's provision. Alright? Second, it's a place of separation. Right? Being separated. So, you will enjoy God's provision and several other things that you will enjoy there as well. So, turn with me to Exodus chapter 8 now and verse 22. Hmm? Um, and I will sever in that day, or rather set apart in that day, uh, on that day, uh, the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, and no swarm of flies shall be there. Okay. So in order for us to, it's a place of provision. Second, it is a place of separation. Okay. It is a place of separation. The question is, see, for the Israelites, it's very, very uh, clear. No, Goshen is here, Egypt is here. Very clear. It's a physical. For us, how do I know that I am a separated person? Okay, I have to just continuously walk in this walk of separation. Yeah, how do I know? How do I know that I am a person who is separated? I will sever, right? How do I know that I am a separated person? So first of all, in order to understand what it means to be separated, we'll see at different different places where this particular word called separated is mentioned. Turn with me to Psalm Psalms four, and let us see a very interesting verse in Psalm four. Okay, let us see. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. It's very interesting, right? Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. So God has become his righteousness. Okay. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy upon me and hear my prayer. Next verse. How long you sons of men will you turn the, my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? What is his glory? The Lord is his glory. Who is his righteousness? The Lord is his righteousness. Nothing else. That is the reason why David will keep, keep saying, you are the glory and the lifter up of my head. I cried into a, uh, to the Lord with my voice and he heard me. So he says, verse 3. But know that the Lord has, what? Severed or set apart for himself those who are godly. So how do I know that I am set apart? If I am godly. Now what does that mean to be godly? Is a question. Right? What does it mean to be godly is a question. So, I'll be set apart if I'm godly. What does it mean, therefore, to be godly? Okay, we all have uh, a, a, an, in a, a, an image, right? Godly person. Okay. Attends church regularly. Okay. Gives tithes of all that he has. Okay. Doesn't sin. Okay, does not sin. Does not commit any sin. Which is, I'm, I'm not, these are the, these are a person who's, who's, uh, number, etc., etc., etc. But something very interesting about the person called godly is mentioned over here. You know what the other translation will say? You don't have to, I'll, you don't have to look for the translation because you'll not find it. This is my translation, okay? Because I've, uh, did a word study over there and I found out something very interesting. But no, let me read it for me, for you in Vijay's translation. And I do, I'm not uh, changing the words over there. I'm actually reading into the text. But know that the Lord has severed or set apart for himself, he who is merciful. 
that is what it means to be godly. Okay. Understand? Okay. You want to know where this particular word is used? Godly is used again? Psalm 18. Oh Lord, I forgot the verse. Psalm 18 and verse, let me tell you the verse. 25, yes, thank you. What does it say? 18.25 With the merciful, (laughs) you will show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you will show yourself blameless and then go on. And with the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself devious. So, who are the godly? First, those are the merciful, those are the pure, and those are the blameless. Actually, the word blameless is perfect. Okay. So, these are the people who are godly. They are what? Merciful people. They are blameless and they are Pure in the sight of God. They are not devious. There is no guile in their hearts. These are the people who are what? Set apart and who are enjoying the word of God, the provision of God. They are in Goshen. They have drawn near and they are set apart people because now what? They have they have become a merciful people. No? Look at what it says in uh, uh, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 2 verse 8. Proverbs chapter 2 verse 8. I love this verse. He guards the paths of the justice and preserves the way of his saints, it says, right? Okay, let me read it now again in my translation. He guards the paths of the justice and preserves the way of the merciful. If I am merciful, what does the Lord preserve? He preserves. You know, in, in one translation, he says, you enlarge my footsteps. You know what it means, right? To have an enlarged footstep. You have stability in your life. There's certainty in your life. Outside is what places? Slippery places. Inside for the merciful is what places? Stability. Not, not slippery, but stability. That is the reason why it says that you should not be tossed about to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but you'll be set apart. You'll be firm. You'll be absolutely blameless. And that is the reason why we are taught. We are, we are given constant teaching. Okay? Understand that everybody? So what is it to be set apart? Is to be merciful. Matthew chapter 5 verse 7. Okay. Blessed are the (laughs) merciful. For they shall obtain mercy. Now let me tell you something. This is very important. Okay. This is a part of our identity. So when people look at us, that is mercy. I mean, so a lot of people put their names, no? Mercy. Okay. How many uh, sisters are named Mercy? Okay. Mercy. Mary. Huh? Grace. Very, very nice names. That is... <laughs> but you know what? What When God looks at the church, you know what He calls them? He calls them? Mercy, yeah, absolutely. It is a part of their identity. When people look at us, hurry, that is mercy. How do I know this? First Peter, chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. 
But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. You know the word in Telugu for chosen generation? Air parchakunna vamsham. Vamsham. Vamsham and tenta gopamanaki? Bah! Eat a coat of vamsham. <laughs> okay, anyway. <laughs> but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his light. Amen. Verse 10. Once you are not a people, but you are now my people. You did not obtain mercy, but now you have Hey, these are the people, you know what, when people look at us, these are the people who obtain mercy. Mercy people. That is the reason why in uh, Romans chapter 12, we have some ministry called as, what ministry? Mercy ministry. It's one of the aspects of the, of the giftings of the holy, of officers in the church is people show mercy. It's a mercy ministry, it's a special anointing which is given. Not everybody can do it. Don't start a mercy ministry unless and until you uh-huh, yeah, exactly. Have obtained that office and uh, and that and that gift. Okay, these are the people. But you know what? We are called to be a people who are characterized. That's a part of our personality. It's a part of our identity. That is the reason why we are set apart into where Goshen. We're just not enjoying God's provision for nothing. We are enjoying God's provision, and one of the greatest provisions that we need is you know what? Lamentations will say, chapter three. Verse 22 onwards. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. You know what Malachi will say? He says, I'm a, my name is what? I'm a jealous God or something. Oh wait, forget that word. Ah, just, just give me a minute please. Malachi chapter 3 if I'm right. I am a God who does not change. Sorry. Yes. I am a God who, 3.6, Malachi 3.6. I am a God who does not change and therefore you are not consumed, O you sons of Jacob. So let's go back to Lamentations chapter 3. Look at what it says. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22. This is what it says. It is because of the mercies of God we are not consumed. Because his compassions do not fail. They are what? New every morning, great is your faithfulness. And what is that? We are a people who are characterized by mercy. And one of the provisions that we get every day of our life is what? Mercy. But the point is, how do we know that we are a people who are characterized by mercy? Let me show you a verse. Okay, uh, before we, before I go to that verse, you know what it means? When people look at us, they should say, these people are a people who have obtained Mercy. How do they know? Look at the way they show mercy to each other. They are mercy people. They don't quarrel over property. They are Hebrews. What is that? What does Hebrew mean? The one who has crossed the river of what? River of death from the death to life. Let me show this to you now. John's Gospel chapter 5 verse 24 first. Mm-hmm. Uh, 24 bro. 24 not 44. 24. Most assuredly I say to you. He who hears my word. And believes in whom in him who sent me. Has what? Everlasting life. And shall not come into judgment. Because he has. 
pass from death into life. Now this is a powerful verse, isn't it? Very, very powerful. What does it say? 524, if you have, if you have heard my word, you have believe, believed in me that, that I'm sent from God, that you have everlasting life, you will not come into judgment, but you are passed over from death to life. That means you are a person who are a Hebrew, you have literally crossed the river of death into everlasting life. But how do I know it? Very interesting, isn't it? You know, you should search this phrase from phrase from death into life, and you will find only in two places this word is mentioned: death into life. Okay, turn with me to one John chapter three and verse thirteen now, thirteen and fourteen. Kya baat? Thirteen and fourteen. Do not marvel, my brothers, if the world hates you. They have to hate you. Okay. We know, everybody, look at this. We know. That we have passed from death to life because we love brethren. We love the brethren. He who does not love his brethren still abides in death. You can forget about it. If he hates his brother like Cain, forget about it. He is still in death. He is not crossed over. So how do I know I am a Hebrew? First of all, I don't fly fight over property. I hope. Okay, so how do I know I'm a Hebrew? First of all, I don't fight. I I have a big heart. You know what I, what I, what I do is if anybody asks, takes first choice, you take the first choice. Children say, I want to take first choice. But if you are truly a mature believer, you will say, you take first choice because you are having an identity. What 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 is the identity that you have? You are what? Mercy. Mercy is your identity. Do you understand that? What is your identity? Mercy is your identity. Okay, let us see. <clears throat> Turn to Genesis chapter 13 and verse 7. Onwards. 7, 8, 9. Okay, we know this. Looked, in, looked at it in several contexts. But again, we'll look at it. No problem. And there was strife. You see that? Midian. <laughs> strife between herdsmen of Abraham, herdsmen of Lot's livestock. That is the reason why, you know what, where there is envy and strife and jealousy, this wisdom is does not descend from above. It is earthly, it is sensual, it is demonic and therefore who is around? The Canaanites are there and the Parasites are there and observing. Abraham He is mercy. You know what is what is what does he do? Next word. So, Abraham said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me, between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Do you see that? How do we know that we have passed from death to life? We, when we love the brethren. We are brethren, he says. He doesn't even say, I am your uncle and you are my nephew. No. We are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Isko bolte bada dil insan. You know, when you have a big heart, 
you have a lot of money for sure. <laughs> In other words, God can trust you with a lot of money. You know, you may not have lots of money as of now, but you have the capacity to have lots of money because you have a you will never hold it because God knows that even if I bless him, he was never going to use this for himself. He'll be a person who will give it away to me and to my people. Okay? And for the purposes of my kingdom. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. Why? You see that separation coming here? You separate from me. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. If you go to the right, I will go to the left. And that guy, he went into what places, Baba? Slippery place mein chala gaya ho. Okay, what what we call as <laughs> fine print ko nahi pada. You know why? Fine print always brackets mein hai. The fine print is always in brackets. What is there in brackets? Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. That is the fine print. Oh nahi pada. Mutual fund mein. That is the fine print in life, my dear brothers. Oh star or accident. Have you seen the mutual? Have you ever seen any LIC policy or anything? Whenever you see the fine print, it is always in small alphabets. You think it is a joke? No, they are deceiving you. And the guy who comes and sells it, oh, he will, my goodness, how he sits on your head. Until you buy it. And after you bought it, Bhavdika Ayadujaya. I recently bought, not recently, a few few months back, I purchased a life insurance policy. I wanted to. I just went online. I was looking at something. So, uh, the guy from Cover Fox, okay, he would not allow me to put the phone down. That's a tactic. I was wondering, Arit, this fellow is so intelligent and smart. He knows how to engage you in conversation. When, when you're like, okay, can I do this later? He before you can change his mind, he wants to sell that product to you. And it's a knack. But of course, I was also interested in buying that policy. I wanted to go and buy the policy. Because I wanted to save on my tax. Okay, I went and bought it. Okay, I went and... It's like when, I, when that lady was selling me uh, ICSC Lombard Medical Insurance. Oh, she was giving me such flowery language. Sir, this is there, sir. This is there. And after I bought the policy and then the fine print comes out. You see that? This is exactly the fine print what? Before Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Slippery places. But then, the problem is not that. It's not, we are not looking at Abraham, uh, like Lord. We are looking at a person who is characterized by what? Mercy. Because he is a Hebrew. He is the one who has passed over from death to life. Because he knows that he has been passed over from death to life. Because he loves his brothers. How did he love his brother? By asking him to take the first choice. And not only that. Genesis chapter 14. I love this. Hmm. And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Sinar. Verse 13, bro. Genesis chapter 14, verse 13. 14, 13. And then one who escaped, you know that, right? Came and told Abraham the... Now let us put the word Hebrew and exchange it with the phrase, the one who has passed from death to life, okay? Then one who escaped came and told Abraham the one who passed from death to life. What is he going to do now? For he dwelt by the Tebran trees of memory, the Amorite, brother of Eshkol, the brother of Aner, and they were allies with Abraham. It's amazing. He is a person who is in the promised land, and all these fellows are Canaanites and Perizzites, but they become allies, but he is never going to be their brothers. But this fellow, 
And when Abraham heard that his brother has been, wow, his brother, the Holy Spirit still records the intention of Abraham and not the relationship of Abraham. It's amazing. That is the reason why he said, this man, he's a set-apart fellow. He is genuinely a Hebrew. And when Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed 318 trained servants who are also Hebrews. There's one thing to risk your life for your master. And there's another thing to risk your life for your master's fellow who doesn't even care for his master. Anyway, Abraham heard that his brother was taken captive. He armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit. That is what we say. We know that Abraham is a Hebrew when he is going to put his neck on the line for his brother. Question for all of us. Can we put our neck on the line for each other? Can God count on us? That we'll be absolutely loyal to one another? That's the reason why John's Gospel chapter 13 will say, By this shall all know that you are my disciples by the love, by the mercy, the identity that you have, that you are a set-apart people, that you are a godly people, is because you are a people who show mercy one to another. That is what we call as genuine love. This is not emotional nonsense. When the rubber meets the road, when the odds are stacked against you, when it is more convenient to pack our bags and leave, will we stick, stick around and stay for our brothers? Okay. That is what is Goshen, brother. You know what Goshen is, no, right? Goshen is that. We don't, we don't enjoy God's provision for nothing. You know why? The greatest provision we need is the mercy of God. And that is the reason why it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You know what that means? If you want to continuously enjoy the mercy of God and be under the umbrella of His mercy, we are a people who will, from our heart, show mercy to others. And we will never be, I mean, hoarding our resources. When we see a brother in need, we give it. We don't hoard. And we'll ask God, God, make us a people who will show mercy. Mercy. Our hearts will be open. That is the reason why, you know what, uh, Paul will say, turn with me to First uh, Corinthians chapter 6. Second Corinthians chapter 6. Second Corinthians chapter 6. Look at what it says. And verse 3 onwards. I love this. I underlined it so many times. Not, uh, not, not so many times, but with... Uh, with with such thick things in my Bible, but let's see. Okay. We give no offense to, no offense in anything. That our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. How? In patience. In tribulations. In needs. In distresses. In stripes. In imprisonments. Stripes ka matlab, these stripes nahi. Military stripes ka Beatings, okay? In stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleepless nights, in fasting, in purity, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by Holy Spirit, by sincere love. And then, 
by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness in the right hand and the left hand, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true. And then look at the next verse. As unknown and yet well known. As dying and behold we live. As chastened and yet not killed. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing. As poor yet making many things, many rich. As having nothing and yet possessing all things. And look at what he says next verse. Oh Corinthians. We have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us. But you are restricted in your own affections you fellows. Look at our heart. Heart is wide open for you. When I read this, no, I say, boy, this man is a man of God. What a man. What a man. He has this testimony. And his heart is open. A man who is full of mercy. His mercy. That's the reason why he says, I am under obligation to the Greeks and to the barbarians. To the wise and to the unwise. As much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to those who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Etc. Okay, so first thing. What is it? Draw near. Goshen means draw near. So first thing, why should we draw near? Because outside is what places? Slippery places. How should we draw near? Not because we will obtain something from the Lord, but with a sincere heart. And what are the provisions or the benefits of drawing near into Goshen? Is first we enjoy the provision of God. And what is that first provision that we enjoy? Is that we will be recipients of God's mercy. mercy, And we will be characterized as a set apart, merciful, godly people who will be ready to extend mercy to others. And you know what the people, to the, to whom you have to extend mercy the most? To extend mercy to the people who is running on the roads and who is coming and, uh, coming and, uh, coming across your car and you shout at him and say, okay brother, I have mercy on you. You know whom you should ex- extend mercy the most? First of all, to your immediate family. Wife has to extend mercy to husband. Okay. And a husband has to constantly extend mercy to wife. Parents have to extend mercy to children. Children, if you are saved, you constantly extend mercy to your parents. If your parents are not saved. And when you, when your unbelieving parents, they look at you, they say, boy, this guy is different. He's characterized by love. I like that word, no? Goodness and mercy. Have you seen? Think about that, no? Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is what it is to be under the good shepherd. A person who has been characterized by mercy. What is your testimony? Mercy people? Yes or no? Is a question. Alright, second. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 8, verse 23 now. Not, not second, fourth, fifth, whatever, nth, <laughs> n is equal to whatever, okay? Whichever the lesson you, that you, that you learned today. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Another translation. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. Let us see that. Any other place? Any other translation? If you don't have, if you don't have, I will put a division between my people and your people. I will put a distinction between my people and your people. 
And the problem, question is, there you said you set us apart. Now you are said you are making a distinction. What is the difference between distinction and being set apart? Here the word is that you will be characterized by a people who are as redeemed. Redeemed, you know what redeemed, redeemed means, right? That you have been purchased, okay? You have been bought. So what does that mean? I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This miraculous sign will occur tomorrow. Beautiful. What does that mean? Turn to Psalm 119. Oh, sorry, 111 verses 9 and 10. He has sent redemption to his people. That is what it means. Okay. Distinction matlab. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant, how long? Forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Okay, again, KJV, KJV, KJV. He sent redemption to his people. He hath commanded his covenant forever. Holy and reverend his, his name. Okay, no thing. Okay. Whose, whose name is reverend? His name is reverend. Not any pastor's name. Reverend his, his name. Hallowed be thy name. Okay. So, redemption to his people and reverence to his name. That's the point. Redemption to his people, reverence to his name. So, who are a distinct people are a people who rever his name. That's the point. They are people who rever God's name. They are people who are redeemed. That means, wherever they go, they know they, char- they are characterized by a new identity, as I said, right? And they always endeavor to say, you know what? Lord, your name be hallowed in my life. Your name be hallowed in my life. That's the first thing. Second, because you're reverent, I mean, you are always conscious about his name, you do not become a slave of man. Because you have been bought at a price. Okay, first, let us go to First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, 20 and 21. Normal translation. Or do you, do, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not, what's, what's that, say, say that everybody, you are not your own, you are redeemed, okay, in other words, you are redeemed, you are a distinct people, therefore, Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And verse 21, is it there? No, 21 is not there? Okay, sorry. 723, 1 Corinthians 723. Look at that, look at that several times. You were bought at a price, don't become slaves of men. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Onwards. 
and whatever you do do it heartily okay ask to the lord and not to men knowing that from the lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the lord jesus christ and then first peter chapter 2 verse 22 have you looked at this verse before every time was actually verse 18 or not sorry verse 18 servants be submissive to your own masters with all fear not only to the good and the gentle uh, can you can we can we uh, can we can we uh, do it in the esv i like the word in esv it's very very powerful okay servants be subject to your own masters with all the respect of, with, with all respect not only to the good and the gentle but also to the unjust for this is a gracious thing when what mindful of god that's hallowed be his name one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly for what credit it is when you sin and are beaten for it you endure but when you are when you do good and suffer for for it if you endure this is the gracious thing in the sight of the lord for this you have been called again first peter chapter 3 and verse let me tell you the verse was uh was 17 for it is better if it is a will of god to suffer for doing good rather than for doing evil okay and then chapter 4 was uh, 15 onwards 15 to 15 to yeah 15 onwards yeah let but let none of you this is all esv right yeah esv okay but let none of you suffer as a murderer okay no uh, murderer no yeah esv right but let none of you suffer as a murderer murderer murder is very very wrong how many of you agree that okay or a thief okay very wrong evil doer okay but meddler meddler and murderer is the same is nkg we don't have to do busy body in other people's matters it says okay okay then verse 16 look at this yet if anyone suffers as a christian you see that let him not be ashamed but let him glorify god in that name wow okay in that name let him glorify god in that name so you are a redeemed people means you are conscious about the name of god in your life you are a set apart people you are you are conscious of the fact that you should be a merciful people you are a set apart people or a distinct people you are conscious of the fact that you should be a people who should be uh, should ensure that the name of god be glorified in your life okay you got that everybody all right now let's go back to exodus chapter 8 now verses 22 23 and 24 that's all we'll, we'll look at that now so we looked at the fact that goshen is a place where you draw near to okay how do we draw near to with a sincere heart why do we draw near knowing that outside we have slippery places and inside you have protection 
and or not protection. We still haven't come to protection. We have provision. And then if you want to enjoy the continuous provision, first provision that we enjoy is what? Is his mercy. Next we thought, we looked at the fact that we are a people who are distinct in that we are a people who are conscious about the name of God. Alright? The name of God. Now let's go back to Exodus chapter 8 and verse 22 onwards. So many lessons, no? So many lessons. Have you seen Exodus like this before? I have not seen. I am also ensuring that you have seen it for the first time too. <clears throat> chapter 8 verse 22 onwards. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell and no swarms of flies shall be there. I like that. Swarms of flies? In order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst. I will make a difference between my people and your people. And this shall be a sign. And verse 24. And the Lord did so. Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh and into his servant's house and into the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarm of flies. Now that is interesting. Whenever you see swarm of flies, what comes to your mind? By this time you should have been trained in GTC. Excuse me? Second Kings chapter 1. And verse 1 or 2 onwards. 2 onwards, okay. 1, 1 onwards you can say. No, that is the, after the death of Ahab, okay. Ahaziah felt through the lattice of the upper room in Samaria and was injured. So he sent messengers and said to them, go and inquire of Beelzebub. What does Beelzebub mean? The king or the lord of flies. And the other name for Satan and demonic possession. You know what? God is going to protect us from if you are in question, from the Lord of flies. There will be a time, it says, uh, I, I forgot to put the reference in Revelation, it says that all the demons from Euphrates and everything will be released. Restraints will be released. The restraining influences of the Holy Spirit will be released and the whole world will be swarmed by what? <laughs> flies. But my people will be set apart. They will be protected from a demonic oppression. How? The question. How? The question is how? No. How do we, how will we be protected from demonic oppression? So let us read this. You know. As I fell and he went to go and inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. Nonsense. Okay, next word. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and said to them, is it not because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Where is Ekron? You know where Ekron is? In Philistine territory. You are leaving Ekron, you are leaving Israel, the place of protection and you are going to a slippery place and to inquire of Beelzebub? So how do you Enjoy protection from the Lord of the Flies. The clues were right there. What is the clue? By 
submitting to prophetic word. By submitting to prophetic word. Second Corinthians, we, we are living in, the, what is this year called? What year is this? Which? 2020, no? Second Chronicles 2020. Okay. Very easy to remember. Second Chronicles 2020. Mark Angel will know what it means now. So they rose early in the morning <laughs> and went into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe in his prophets and you shall prosper. Okay. So you want to enjoy the protection of God from the Lord of the flies? What should you do? <laughs> Accept the prophetic word, what we call as the word of correction. Everybody got it now? So we have a place of protection. We are at a place of protection. Why? Why are we at a place of protection? Because we have the word of correction. That is what Elijah ministry signifies. Why are you going to Beelzebub? Why are you Allowing yourself to go outside the presence of God and allowing you, uh, yourself to uh, go into the uh, slippery places. Isn't it inter interesting? There are so many prophets of Baal. That's what pastor was saying. So many prophets of Baal are taking the children of Israel into slippery places. Okay. There is a, it is a place of protection because it is a place of, because there is a word of Correction. There's a place of protection because there's a word of correction. Okay. Second Chronicles chapter 20 verse 20. We looked at that. So first of all, let us see, you know, we just review all the lessons that we learned. First, we want to draw near. How do we draw near? We know, we first, why do we draw near? We know we draw near because this world is a slippery place. How do we draw near? It's a sincere heart. You know, the point is this. Until and unless we went into the sanctuary, we didn't realize that the world is a slippery place, isn't it? Okay. Honestly, no, now that we have come under teaching and we are looking at it from inside out, we know that this world is a slippery place. Now turn with me to uh, Genesis chapter 7 verse 1. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 7 verse 1. Okay. Beautiful, no? Then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because what? I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Just note this point. I'll come back to it later on. Okay. Note, note this point. Let's, let's come back to me. Let's come back to him, this place later on. Now we, uh, we, we'll go to the next point. It's a place of protection from, from your protection. Second, it's also not a, it's just not only your protection. It also protects all your possessions. Okay, turn to Exodus chapter 9, verse 4 onwards. The, and the Lord will make a difference again. You see that again, distinction, okay. The Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. The question is this, why does God make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. I know there's a verse in Proverbs which says, 
the little that the righteous have is much, much better than all the riches the wicked have. The little that the righteous have is blessed. And, and you know what God is able to do with that? He is able to protect it, he is able to preserve it, and he is able to also multiply it for you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 18, sorry, verse 19 onwards. Do not lay up for yourselves, what? <laughs> Treasures on earth. What comes there? Moth and rust destroy. And where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves, where? Treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And therefore, verse 22, Verse 21, for where your treasure is, and there your heart is. Now tell me where your heart is. Where is your heart? You have drawn near to God, right? With a sincere heart. Where? Inside now. You are there with God's people. Wherever God's people are, there your heart is, and there your treasure is. Turn to Galatians now, please. Chapter 6. And verse 9. Onwards. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do what? Good to all, especially where? To those who are of the household of faith. Now, First Timothy again, chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6. And verse 17 onwards. Command those who are rich in this world, on in this present age, not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. And let look, look at this. Let them do good, that they be rich in doing good works, ready to give, willing to share, Storing up for themselves, where? A good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. That is where your possessions are protected. (laughs) Protected. Okay. A place where your possessions are not just you are protected. Everything that you have is protected. Isn't it amazing? That is what is Goshen, my dear brothers. That is Goshen. And then, Exodus chapter 10. Now, let's go to Exodus chapter 10. We are looking at Goshen, verse 21 onwards. Verse 21 onwards. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over all the land of Egypt, darkness which may be felt. And then Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt. How many days? Three days. They did not see one another. 
nor did anyone rise from the place for three days. I, that is unbelievable. Not rising from your place for three days, you can imagine a lot of things. Okay. <laughs> you can run your imagination wild. Not rising in one place for a, for a, from a place for three days. Okay. But all the children of Israel had what? Light in their dwellings. So what is Goshen? A place of revelation or light. You have light. You have the light of the Lord. Okay. He, John's Gospel chapter 1 please. John's Gospel chapter 1. And verse 4 onwards. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness. But darkness will not be able to understand it. Comprehend it. Or rather, the darkness will not be able to overpower it. You will have light. You will have light. You will know exactly where to go. Okay. In other words, you will have the constant voice telling you. What is light? Light means knowledge basically. All right? Ignorance is darkness. Light is knowledge. You will know exactly where to go. You will have the light of life. You will have the knowledge of God. You will have the fruit of light. You will be truly a priesthood who have who has light, who has a knowledge of, go, of God and you know exactly where to go. That is the reason when the Holy Spirit comes, what does he do? He will lead you to all truth and not only that, he will tell you of the things to come, it says. He forewarns you. You are no longer. So that's the reason. Why. Turn with me now. First Thessalonians, please. First Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5. And verse. I'll tell you the verse. First Thessalonians chapter 5. And verse. 4 onwards. Okay. But you brothers. Brothers. Are not in what? Darkness. So that this day should overtake you as a thief. That means you know exactly. You have the understanding. You are the sons of light and the sons of the day. We are not of the darkness or, or of the night. And then, therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but as let us watch and be sober for those who sleep, sleep at night and those who get drunk, drunk, get drunk at night. So how do we, how do we enjoy this? And verse seven. For let, uh, for, but let us be, let, but let us who are yeah, uh, for those who sleep, sleep at night and those who are drunk and drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober. How do we do it? But putting on the breastplate of faith and love and the, and of the, for helmet, the hope of salvation. You see that faith, hope and love all the time coming together. Alright. So we understand that, right? So it's a place of light. It's a place of understanding what, uh, Essentially the understanding of times, right? It's again First Chronicles chapter 12. First Chronicles chapter 12 verse 32. First Chronicles chapter 12 verse 32. Of the sons of Issachar, who had the understanding of the times, who knew the light, to know what Israel ought to do. Important. That is what is knowledge. To know what Israel ought to do. The chiefs were 200 and all their brethren were them at their command. This is what is the Lord, you know, um, preparing us for a people who will have light and not will not be living in darkness. Okay.
So finally, there are people who have light and finally, there are people who live under the face of God. Turn with me to Exodus, please. Chapter 33. And verse 14 onwards. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. And then, and Moses turned and went down from the mountain and the two tablets of uh, the, this is 33, not 32, 33. 33 was 14. Exodus 33 was 14, sorry. 33 was 14. And he said, my what will go? My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, or do not bring us from here. And then, for how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except that you go with us, so shall we be ah, set apart. Okay. Your people and I from all the people who are upon the face of this earth. What does it mean? How do we know that we are God's people? We are people who constantly enjoy his presence. Actually, the word for presence is a Hebrew word. What is it? Face. It's just not face. You know what it is? Faces. Okay. People who constantly live under the faces of God. Turn to uh, Genesis chapter 17, verse 1 and 2. Just one, enough. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1 and 2. And that was a, one of the questions that people had. Uh, why did God ask him to uh, walk before him and not to follow him? Okay. Look at what it says. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham. Okay. And the Lord, I am the Lord Almighty. Walk before let me put it that now. Yeah. I am the Lord Almighty. Walk before my faces and be blameless. What are the faces? Goodness of God. Severity of God. So live under the light of my goodness and my severity and be blameless. That is what it means to live under the presence of God. And you know what he's saying? Unless you're presence go with us. Unless we constantly live under the light that we are a people who know your goodness and know your severity. How how can people distinct, uh, make a distinction that we are normal people and we are God's people? We have a knowledge of his goodness and of his severity. That is the reason why. Now let us see Genesis chapter 7 and verse 1. And we'll Then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before my face. It's not just my face. My faces in this generation. Ultimately, this is what is ultimately required. You know, um, one of the studies I'm doing of late is what does it mean for a man to be justified by faith? You know, so we, we, the, 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 the anthem of the reformation, if you will, not that reformation had an anthem, ultimately later on the church made an anthem. Sola scriptura, sola fide, sola gratia, sola dio gloria, etc. Some five, five, five solas. 
and it says a man is justified by faith alone. What does it mean to be justified by faith is a question that we know. It's like, you know, it's like this, no? How do we know that we are a people who pass from death to life? We believe in him, then we are passed from death to life. But how do we know that we are a people who have passed from death to life? You know, how do we know that we are a people who are justified by faith only? We know that we are a people who are justified by faith when, if and only if we constantly live under the light of his faces, his presence. What does that mean? Turn to Matthew chapter 6 now. And we will stop. Verse 1 onwards. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds or righteous acts before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites. Okay, (laughs) don't have two faces, have only one face and let God show his faces, okay? Has do the synagogues and in the streets that they may glorify, that they may get glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. But when you do your charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And then verse 4, that your charitable deed may be in secret and your father... You see that? Who sees in secret will reward you openly. The first thing. How do you live before the face of God? By ensuring that you do your charitable deeds or righteous acts secretly. Second. And when you pray. Do not be like the hypocrites. Your relationship with God is something which is in secret. I was listening to a man of God yesterday. No, He said, every day in the morning I take communion. Every day I spend time, if I cannot spend that secret moments with God in my secret closet of prayer, I will never be nourished for the rest of the day. I seek to live before God's face right from the beginning of the day. Okay, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites for their love. And you know what it says? Close the door. Let your prayer life be before God. And finally, and verse 7, 8, 8, if I'm right, 8 onwards. Uh, mm, sorry. Yeah. Uh, just a sec, just a second, please. 16, yeah. Moreover, when you fast. Okay. When you fast, when you pray, when you do your righteous deeds. Live constantly under the light of God's face, his goodness and his severity. Romans chapter 11 verse 22 and we will stop. Therefore consider the goodness of God and the severity of God. On those who fell, severity. On toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will also be cut off. So how do we know that we are a separate people who are or people who are living in Gosh? We constantly live under the goodness of God, knowing the severity of God. You know what that means? There is a life of continuous repentance. What is what do we have? A life of continuous repentance. We have a life where is our, where our heart is tender before God. Why? Because the goodness of God leads us to repentance. In other words, we have a teachable spirit. 
Only those people who have a tender heart can be taught. Because wisdom is of the heart and not a ear, in the mind. A tender heart who can constantly be taught and constantly be corrected so that you can constantly walk in his presence. That is what is Goshen. So today's teaching title is Goshen. (laughs) Okay, today's teaching title is Goshen. Are you at Goshen, my dear brothers, is the question. Okay, so let us just review it. Finally, for the... Last time before we end the day, what does Goshen means? To draw near. So why do we draw near? Because the world we know is a slippery place. How do we draw near? We draw near with a sincerity. We don't have any ulterior motives. And when we draw near, what do we enjoy? We enjoy the provision of God. And how do we know that we enjoy the provision of God? We are a people who show mercy. And after we show mercy, we also are a people who are redeemed and therefore we are always conscious about His name. And then we are a people who are protected from demonic attacks. Why are we protected from the demonic attacks? We accept the prophetic word, the word of correction and therefore we enjoy protection. Okay, we have the word of correction and therefore we enjoy protection. Okay, actually in Telugu is very interesting. Second uh, Chronicles 2020, if you can put it up in Telugu, I'll tell, explain to you. Okay, very, very interesting. Second Chronicles 2020 in Telugu. I just, you seen that? The last part. Yehovah no namukkonadi, appudu miru sthiraparcha baduduru. You see that no? Yehovah no namukkonadi, appudu miru sthiraparcha baduduru. Ayana pravaktar no namukkonadi, appudu miru krutardhulagudurani cheppenu. You know what krutardhulu means? <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, let me explain this to you. Krutardha means a one who will pass the exam. That's what it means. Okay. When will you pass the exam? When you believe in his prophets. Okay. Let me explain to you. When do you pass an exam? When you have constantly been corrected. Right? You have attended every class. <laughs> you have done every assignment, every quiz, every mid-sem, every project. And by the time you come to the end, end semester, A grade guarantee. Why? Because constantly you enjoyed correction. Enjoyed means correction. Correction, correction, enjoyed. Prophetic. What what does a prophet do? Your teacher is a prophet. In a university, you didn't understand that. What does a teacher uh, doing generally, primarily? He's preparing you for the ah, exam. He's a prophet. He's preparing you for the question paper that even if any question paper comes, you will be able to pass. So when you are under a place of protection, you are under a prophet who will help you to pass the exam. Krutardha means the one who has passed the exam. That's what it means. <laughs> when I when I was taught, when I was some, I was I think you know we were having a family meeting and somebody was uh, talking about this and says Krutardha. The first time I said, what does Krutardha mean? The one who has passed the exam. Krutardha le pravata vanta pravaktale namukunte will become Krutardhas. Means if we believe in God's prophets, we will pass the exam. The ultimate exam is coming. What is that exam? The day of judgment. When all our works will be what? Tested by fire. And you want to come out? 
pure, believe in the prophet. You will not only be protected from demonic attacks, final day, that day, you will be protected from the wrath of God. Okay, so you enjoy God's protection. And then your possessions are also what? Protected. And finally, you constantly live under God's presence. That means you have the knowledge of his severity and his goodness because you have light. Right? Goshen means a place where there is a light. Okay, there's revelation and God's revelation. Alright, let's pray now. Father, we just thank you God for this day. So many words, so many lessons that we have learned this morning. I pray, Father, that you would make this a reality. We see the word teaches the same thing in different, different ways. The pictures right from the old covenant and in the new covenant. The call to be a set apart, godly people, zealous for good works. Father, this morning we commit ourselves to your kind hands once again. Father, open the eyes of your people that they will know that this world is a slippery place. Putting the trust in this world, in the fashions of this world, in the lusts of this world, The world and its fashions, your word says, is passing away. But he who does the will of God will abide forever. He will pass that exam on that final day. That test by fire. And I pray, Father, that we will enjoy your protection because we will be constantly under correction. That we will not get offended by those people who correct us. Teach us to walk in your ways. Teach us your ways. Show us your paths. And lead us in the way of everlasting life. We thank you. We praise you. For in Jesus name we pray. Amen.